Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Exciting update. I have a brand new free resource. You all asked for it, so I created it. This is a relationship attachment quiz designed to help you understand your patterns in relationships. You can take this totally free quiz now by going to the link in my Instagram bio at Dr. Morgan Coaching and click attachment quiz. And you all know I love to hear from you. So either screenshot and tag me with your result or send me a DM letting me know your result from the quiz. You guys, this is totally free and this will be helpful to you. So go check it out. Can't wait for you to take the quiz and to share your results. Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. And this week is a very special episode. I have Tiffany Carter, who is a multimillionaire, female empowerment speaker, And she is just all around an incredible woman who has made the shift from low self-worth to high self-worth and has been through it all. And she's also my business coach. And I love her to death because she tells it like it is. And she's funny. And I know you guys are going to love her as much as I do. Welcome, Tiffany. So glad to have you. What's up, girl? Finally, we're doing this. Finally. Yes. Yes, yes. So, Tiffany, um, tell us a little bit about your your background when it comes to dating and relationships. When was your first boyfriend? Mine, I was like 12. I was already looking for love. Oh, my God. I mean, first off, this would be like a full-on book series. I have, have been in more relationships. I don't even know. I don't have a number. I mean, it's out of control Yeah, because yeah. I was, you know, we'll get into it, but I was, you know, a hardcore codependent. Um, so I would say my first, I mean, my first French kiss, as I called it, or we called it then, was at 11. Wow. Yeah. His name was Steve. He's so hot. <laughs> We're still Facebook friends. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. I it was love- at the ice skating rink, like in like a little like corner of the ice rink. <laughs> wow. That's cute. And you know, just like, I think you and I have this in common, but you know, coming from childhood experiences that just really didn't provide a template for a healthy relationship. So can you share a little bit about that? Like what was your, your childhood experience? So I always, I always like to preface this before I get into it. Cause you know, as you already said, you know, I'm really direct. So this can be kind of triggering to some people. Um, so I just want to say that up front. but I 
grew up in a very abusive household. You would never have known it from the outside, like, like many abusive mm-hmm. households. But then there's some where like the kids show up at school and they're like clothes are dirty or they're kind of weird. Not my case wasn't like that. The outside was pristine, but I was sexually abused from the ages of 11 to 21 years old. My mom was aware of it. My mom um, also bought me outfits and sent me on dates with men. Um, it was, it's a crazy story that I'll someday in, be in a book. But what I was taught is in order to get anything, love, um, attention, toys, um, nurturing, I had to trade of myself. There was a cost involved. And the cost I was taught is you give anything someone wants for it. And if you don't, that means you're not a good person. That means you don't love them. That means you're not a good girl. So I traded everything. I mean, mind, body, soul, sexually, I had no, that's what I was taught. That was Mm. what I was modeled and that's what I did. Um, And you can imagine as, you know, your background, how that set me up for my life. Yeah, so you did not have healthy boundaries being modeled. Oh, God, no. I mean, (laughs) boundaries. I wasn't allowed to have needs, wants, uh, boundaries. Like, I remember when someone first said something to me about boundaries. It was before I even, like, started in any therapy. And I really was like, I don't get it. What is that? Like, I really didn't get it. Mm -hmm. I was so convinced that if you really care and are a good loving person, whether it's a neighbor, a friend, a boss, whatever, if you're a good person, you give all of yourself. And if you're in a relationship, you give every single thing and you put that person first. Like that's what a loving, solid person does. Mm. So you had no sense of self. You didn't really know who you were, let alone having high self-worth, you didn't even have any idea of who, who you were or what your emotions or needs were. No. I mean, I didn't know until I would say four and a half years ago even. I didn't even know what my favorite color is, which I know you know me and my brand. And for those of you guys listening who don't know me, if you follow me on Instagram at Project Me with Tiffany, I'm like obsessed with the color purple. Like, purple, yeah. It's, it, it is my brand color, but I'm also like obsessed with it. But I think part yeah. of why I'm so obsessed with it is that the work I did on myself in a recovery program and inner child work, it mm-hmm. was so exciting for me to find my favorite color and discover that because I... My favorite color was whatever the fuck you wanted it to be. Yeah, you were the chameleon in a relationship, like changing who you should be in order to be loved because it sounds like being liked, being loved, that was the top priority and it didn't matter who you had to be or what you had to do to to get that love. And it was also safety. So mm-hmm. I was aware from a very early age that I didn't know the term hypervigilant, but I was aware that something was very different about me, that I had an abnormal, I almost thought I had like, like a superpower even as a kid, like, mm-hmm. like I could read people's minds. 
I like memorize like where everyone was at in a room, which obviously, you know, I now know it to be like, that was a safety thing, an animal, right? I was always, Mm -hmm. right, trauma, always scanning for my safety. So I had to be whatever my mom needed me to be in order for me to not get abused. Because my mom was a, my mom's a narcissist. And she's emotionally and verbally abusive. So it was a safety thing for me as well. Like mm-hmm. people pleasing and being whatever someone wanted me to be meant Tiffany is okay. She's safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, it comes down to that survival piece, right? Thinking about survival. And that's, that's what you learn to do in order to survive. And so tell, tell a little bit about how did that show up in your dating life? So you start dating. Who are the people you're attracting? Like what's oh going on my, in your dating life? Oh my Lord. I mean, I, I, la- I make a lot of jokes about things, you guys. Like, and I'm not making light of any of your situations. Right. But this is also my way of like um, healing and I've done a lot of work so I can laugh at it because it's absolutely ridiculous. Here was my criteria, girl. You asked me out. And I said, yes, <laughs> like yeah. you, could have been, you could have been like the local drug dealer. <laughs> you could have been like, not that physically attractive. Oh my um, God. Um, yeah. I so relate to that, Tiffany. I, I can so relate to that. One of my early boyfriends was a samurai sword collector. <laughs> my family still makes fun of me for that i mean i get it, it, was, I get it. it yeah it was like they because my self-worth was so low it was mm-hmm. like and there was never enough by the way i mean yes. i was the person who multiple dated multiple guys at once mm-hmm. if i did get in a quote-unquote exclusive relationship i always had a back burner guy and i literally that was my coined term mm, a back burner like, yeah I, sure I always had someone like simmering on the back yeah. burner so that I would ensure I was never without a guy because having a guy to me meant I'm not so damaged I'm not so messed up mm-hmm. I'm worthy of having you know a boyfriend so mm-hmm. I can't be that bad mm. mm-hmm. so without one well, first off, I never let myself not have one. I mean, I made sure of it. I mean, it wasn't until, again, about five and a half years ago that I took a year sabbatical from flirting, dating, sex, anything. And that was the first time ever in my entire life. I, I can so relate to that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and yeah, just that realization of, wow, you were really connecting your worth to your relationship status. Single was, I'm not worthy. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. Um, I can so relate. I was the same way. And I think people, if they see it on the outside, they could almost think that it's shallow. It's like, oh, they always have to be dating or they're, they're such a um, whore. You know, I don't want right, to use like word, a, What's it called? Attention whore. Attention something. whore, right. But we know that deep down, that's not what it's about at all. It's about safety. Because if I don't have that person, then my worth disappears. Right. So, and, then, and then with my worth isn't there, 
I really had a belief, not that I was super introspective, because of course I didn't allow myself to go there. I was doing all of this to avoid feeling or thinking anything, right? processing any of my stuff. But I, I did have glimpses of an awareness of a panic. Like, let's say the guy on the back burner who was simmering kind of like fell off, like started mm. like a relationship with someone and I didn't have a back burner person and nothing else mattered in my life other mm. than like that spot. And I mm -hmm. knew that wasn't normal. Like mm -hmm. I knew that was how intense and panicked I was about not having, so to speak, the backup plan. Right. I knew that that was, I knew something wasn't right for right about it, but all that did was feed into the shame of, see, mm -hmm. you're broken. Mm -hmm. You're messed mm -hmm. up, girl. And if a guy who I, I don't know if any of you guys listening can relate, but like if there was a guy who I like deemed as being like a really great guy, like, attractive, had his shit together, um, very nice, charming, fun, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I couldn't even look that guy in the eyes. Mm -hmm. Weren't the guys I went for because why I didn't feel worthy of that. So right. I went for, to be real, I, I, I went for guys where I knew I had the upper hand where I was the catch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dating down because it's it's comfortable. Yeah. Tiffany, I want to go back to something you said, which you talked about numbing, not dealing with your shit, as you said. Um, and I know a lot of us can relate to that, and there's different ways it shows up. Do you feel like dating was a form of numbing for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a way of escaping you know, I, I had, had many sayings, shocking to those who know me, but I would say, call it getting a freshie. So, you know, when you start like dating <laughs> someone new yes. and it'd be like that fresh energy, like I would lose 10 pounds, like yes. eye is bluer and I'm all of a sudden the most motivated person on the planet, Right. you know, and I'm eating like salads every day and shit like that. So that freshie energy was, you know, it's like, I mean, you know better than me, but it's like that dopamine, that oxytocin. Yeah. It, I was addicted to that drug, that inner drugstore, so to speak, of having that, that freshy feeling because mm -hmm. I, then it was a drug, right? And what, why do people do drugs? It's to numb. And so mm -hmm. that was, and then I would get so occupied in that other person's life. I didn't mm -hmm. have time or energy to think of my own, which I didn't want to think of my own. Yeah. So you're caretaking, you're, you know, involved in that other person's lives. You know, you, you become one term we use is confluent, like you merge with that person. So then you don't have to even think about your identity, which you're not really in touch with anyways. And you can just take on the other person's, but then you and I both know that it, it crashes and burns. Oh my, every time. Every it, time. I mean, I'd have, I'm not joking when I tell you, I've no, I, I've dated the United Nations. I've dated the rich. I've dated the poor. <laughs> the United Nations. I've dated the short. I've dated the tall. Oh, I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I like tried it all because I was like, oh, well, it's because, you know, rich guys are this way or I yeah. have to stop dating broke guys. And I would always, I never, ever had the realization that I was the common denominator. Mm. 
Isn't that fun? <laughs> it is. It's funny because I am was, you know, we are the yeah, common yeah. denominator in our lives, but it never even registered to me. I was so caught up in chasing that drug. And as all you guys know, that like honeymoon phase of a relationship, that leaves maybe at the most you can stretch it to a year. Yeah. So as soon as that started going away for me, in my mind, that signaled this isn't the right person. Because right. I really thought that like freshy phase, so to speak, I thought that was love. You know, like yeah. that immediate enmeshment codependents do, <laughs> like all I can do is think about the other person. I thought if you weren't like that yeah. forever with someone, then that, that wasn't a good relationship. So I would break up with them. Yeah. And I think that's common, almost this fairy tale idea of what the relationship is supposed to be like, particularly when you've gone through the emotional abuse, physical abuse that you went through, there can be this idea of like, oh, I just need this fairy tale love and then everything will be great. So you almost hold on to it. Um, but you and I both know that that fairy tale love is a fairy tale. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't exist. And anyone, any friends of yours or anyone that you see on social media where it kind of look or even celebrities or whatever, where it looks like they have that, mm -hmm. they don't. They're just not showing the other side. It's not yeah. possible. You and I talk about this just in how we show up on social media. You know, you think about fake, like fake can seem appealing but it's not sustainable. It crashes and burns. It's, it's real beats out fake every time when it comes to having to be long-term and stable and feel good, right? Fake looks shiny and nice for a little bit, but it doesn't work. Yeah. It's very, it can be attractive initially. Like I used to be like a moth to the light to that to that certain type of guy that did the, you know, mm -hmm. dozens of roses and the romantic dinners and knew all the things to say yeah, and all of that. And, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't last because once they get what they want, whether it's sex, mm -hmm. whether it's, they feel like they've got you, then all of a sudden it feels like they've taken their foot off the gas and it's, it's a recreation of like abandonment. Abandonment. That would yeah. feel horrible to me. Like, I mean, I would be just crushed and almost immobile from that. Yeah. You're talking about a cycle that I know very, very well, which is having that love bombing occur in the beginning, not really realizing, oh, this is going to be used to kind of keep me in this, you know, dynamic, um, and that it's not real, that, that love bombing is not sustainable. It's actually just a form of control. Um, but yeah. And, and for you, I like, I'm thinking about the relationship I was in that I've told the, the listeners about, um, that was seven years ago now. But it really, for me, to get out of it and for me to actually do the work that I did to heal and to now create this coaching business that I have, um, it really took this almost near-death experience that, that I had with this guy who I had been in this abusive relationship with for a year. Um, and 
it took it took me almost dying to have to actually look at myself and say, what is going on? You know? Um, so I wonder for you, was there any specific moment that you remember or anything that stands out to you? Like you're like, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I want to tell a story, but I promised a potential book publisher that I'm not allowed to share it. It's something Whoa, I'm not, juicy. Yeah, it's it is no. When I say it's juicy, mm-hmm. I mean it's juicy. It's traumatic. Um, it's more probably juicy than traumatic, but I'll just say it like this: um, codependency, in my opinion, is a progressive disease because mm-hmm. it's an addiction to people, places, and things. So just like heroin or alcohol or coke or whatever, right. that's progressive codependency can kill you too. It just kills you more slowly. Like you said, you almost died. Five and a half years ago on my birthday, I had a full plan to kill myself. I had, you know, I had access to all the pills. I had them all laid out. Um, I was done. And what led me to my bottom was two back to back, highly toxic. One person for sure was a sociopath. I mean, when mm-hmm. I say, I mean, I'm talking dangerous. And yeah. The person was a very sick narcissist. Mm-hmm. And before I would go back and forth, I would have a version of my mom, the narcissist, and then I would flip and have a version of my dad, like the passive, you know, doormatty mm-hmm. kind of nice guy. Mm-hmm. But this time was two back to back, very sick people. And I wrote tons of checks. I, I'm talking tens of thousands of dollars to the one guy. I mean, I bought him. I paid oh. for a year of his townhouse. I mean, he moved in and I didn't even ask him to move in. He was all of a sudden in my house. It was just pure craziness. And then I didn't, wasn't telling anybody about either of mm. these relationships because I knew they were so sick. Mm-hmm. There was no one who was going to, in my life, who was going to be like, accepting of that, which brought up so much shame. And I just knew, wow, like I'm really sick. Like Mm -hmm. something's really wrong with me. Like Mm -hmm. why would I do this to myself? I'm, I need help. Wow. The name of the podcast is let's get vulnerable. And we are doing that, Tiffany. I so appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that. And I think so many people can relate to that shame piece of really keeping keeping them stuck of like, oh, I am just so embarrassed or so ashamed that I can't figure this out. Like all of my friends have these great relationships. What in the hell is wrong with me? I can't figure this out. So you, you know, going through those two relationships, hitting bottom, how, how did you finally get help? What was it that finally you were like, okay. I got to get help. I'm going to go. Truly, it had to be a power greater than myself. It was the universe. Um, It was God. I thought God abandoned me and hated me because I was so damaged and broken and a piece of shit. So I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have a connection with God. It was more like the universe. I was, I did believe there was something bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. I truly don't remember to this day how I went from having all those pills laid out at my townhouse I used to have on my fucking birthday 
to, I ended up inside a recovery room, like a 12 step room um, for adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, basically for codependency. I, someone had planted a seed about that there was some kind of recovery Mm -hmm. for people who have all this drama with relationships and stuff like that. So the seed was planted and I remembered even someone, someone must've given me a fly or something. I somehow ended up at one of those meetings on my birthday. And for the Mm. first time ever in hearing other people's stories and the readings, I realized that I wasn't alone. Like other people did this absolutely crazy, bizarre, insane behavior. And it wasn't just me. And I felt I, for the first time ever, I didn't feel so alone. That's so powerful. And, and I think that's, that speaks to also why I make sure I share my story too, because I want people to know that they're not alone. Right. And you and I are both examples, but you can have some really, really terrible experiences in relationships and still go on to have great relationships that it is possible for you. Um, yeah, totally. But not without doing the inner work and the inner healing. I wasn't willing to do it until obviously it meant death. Like you said, yeah. Like I, cause I was protecting myself and avoiding that at all costs. And that's not uncommon, but it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that dramatic, right? Yeah. It doesn't. But usually, usually people have to be in a lot of pain before they're willing to do stuff. It's true. It's true. Yeah. You know, I always like to think when I'm working with my clients, if I can help them avoid the decade of pain that I went through, that, that just makes me so happy. You know, I don't want them to get to that place where they're at their lowest, lowest low, but, but sometimes that, that is when they finally reach out and obviously I get it. Um, so for you, you, you start your healing process and you and I both know we'd love it to take a month. We'd love it to take three months, right? But it takes a long time. <laughs> what oh, yeah. was that like for you? Like, how did were it you was brutal? To, I mean, yeah. it, at first, it was like at first there was a high to it because, like I said, I felt like I wasn't alone for the first time. Mm-hmm. I found people who understood me. There was hope, so there was like a lot of positive, almost like there was like a elation, high relief from that. But then when I really needed to start doing this core work and processing all this stuff and unpacking it and do inner child work, I mean, it was the hardest work I've ever done in my life. But I knew the only, the other option was me dying. Yeah. There was no other, there was life and death for me. So I knew I had to do it and it had to be the number one priority in my life. And that's, you know, in that particular, you know, recovery program I was in, and I'm still in, by the way, um, this codependency is a lifelong thing. It's just how you're, you know, managing it. Um, that I, it says in the program to not date, flirt, have sex or anything for 12 months. Mm. And I was like, well, cause it's a drug. Right. 
So I was, I was treating it like someone, you know, goes to AA and I was like, okay, like I, you know, this will be the first time ever. And at first I was like, I can do this. Like I'm so empowered. And then within, I would say mm, five weeks, probably on those hard nights, like a Saturday night, Sundays, I started tripping and I noticed I would pick up my iPad, pick up my phone. I would want to install a dating app. And my sponsor, you have, you have sponsors in the program. And my sponsor said, you've got to do something and not have those devices. Just like an alcoholic, like you wouldn't go, you're new in you know, recovery from alcohol. You wouldn't go hang out in a bar, right? Mm-hmm. So I locked up my iPad and my iPhone in this cubby inside of a closet I had and put on like an old school like turn lock on it. And I had to move like suitcases out of the way and all this stuff to get to it. And I would have to lock that shit up every single night. Wow. And believe me, there were times where I was on my freaking knees, you guys pulling out the suitcases on my knees, starting to turn the dial of that lock. And it was very humbling. I was like, I'm an addict. Like I have a problem. Mm. But that was a very smart move. I did that because deleting the app, so what? Can add that shit back in. It just downloaded again. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very smart move because I mean, and thank God I had that random like little cubby hole in there because I'm literally on my knees like an addict, mm. fiending to go and get those devices, and I'm and I did and I didn't do it. It's that's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Such a powerful image, and to be able to think about that now and just go, wow, that was where I was at. I had to have those devices locked up. Wow. Yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about what was it like to start dating? Because I get this question from clients who, okay, they go through the healing process, they've made a lot of progress, and now they're dating, and it's a new way of dating, right? And if you're used to the drama and all of that, it could almost feel like a little bit boring at first. But I'm curious, like, what was that shift like for you when you started dating in a more healthy way? So boring. <laughs> like, because I, I took that time and did that healing work, it also made it because I changed. Therefore, I wasn't going to, the idea was to not be attracted to or not to attract the same type of person. But I was still not looking even at a year. Mm -hmm. I really had gotten to a place It took about eight, nine months where I was like, you know what, if I'm, if I'm single for the rest of my life, like, and I, as long as I'm happy, I'll be okay. And I really meant it because that was always my fear. I'll just be this like single crazy cat lady person. So Mm -hmm. I really got to that point where I was like, i obviously found self-worth and, and went from like, you know, hating myself to liking myself, liking myself, to loving myself. And so I was really at that point. So I wasn't looking and, you know, that cliche saying, you know, you always meet someone when you're not looking, but it's true. Yes. 
So I met Mike, who's my fiance now, at a music festival that I was at with a girlfriend because I love going to music festivals and dancing and stuff like that. Um, and he was the, he's the opposite of my type, like in every which way, which I didn't get those same feelings, that same freshy high. Mm -hmm. There was none of that. It was more of a feeling of comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it was really confusing to me. I could not have worked through any of that alone. Right. It was like, well, where's the, you know, super excitement and the, yeah. all the bumps and all the things. And I didn't have, I, not that there wasn't some excitement, but it wasn't like the negative. Yeah. The fireworks, the, the fireworks. Yeah. The there was a roller coaster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That wasn't there. And mm -hmm. So then I didn't know, well, does that mean I'm not that into him? It was very confusing. So if I, mm -hmm. I didn't have, you know, a therapist, if I didn't have a coach, if I didn't have people helping me navigate that and I was left to my own devices, I could have slipped back into yes. behaviors for sure. I have seen that and I have lived that change as well. And I can relate to that feeling of like, well, I guess I'm just not into this person because they don't make me feel sick to my stomach. You know, there's no, there's no crazy highs, you know. Um, but what you learn, and I feel like you, you have learned this, is secure is sexy, right? Like there is a level of love and comfort and security that is so, so attractive. But you have to learn that and you have to rewire your brain to find that attractive thousand percent and i'm and i'm still doing it because i've had a lifetime of the other way yes I'm used, and i also led because of being sexually abused like a lot of people have had sexual abuse you know they lead they either are become almost like asexual um okay. and do things to not be attractive to you know whatever um sex they're into or they do what I did, which was I led with that, that, mm -hmm. that sexual energy and that vibe because that's what I was, you know, taught made me worthy. Yes. And I, I also thought it was weird that Mike didn't lead with that, that vibe. I attracted men who led with that vibe mm -hmm. and like that, and he wasn't leading with that vibe. So then I was like, is he not into me? Am I right. not me? Am I not sexy? Because like he didn't, there was no love bombing. Yes. You know? And it was like, well, maybe he's not that into me. And it was really fucking confusing. Yes. It's a whole new experience, right? But then now, obviously, you're engaged, which congratulations. It's very exciting. Um, but now you have a different appreciation right? For that stable, secure, dependable. And you know, it's this whole thing, Tiffany, we, we know if you're building the foundation of a house really quickly and you're just throwing a bunch at it, that foundation is going to be crap. You know, the house is going to fall apart. But when you're building a relationship slowly, intentionally, and you've got that good foundation, you're set up for a healthy relationship. So really maybe looking back on it now, you're like, oh yeah, we were just building the foundation really slowly, but that was just not what you were used to. 
it's still not what I'm used to. Yeah. Like I would be lying to say there are times where I'm like, where's the spice? And like, <laughs> I don't get it. But, if Mike is listening, it's like, okay, go get Tiffany some roses. Well, he's good <laughs> with the flowers. He does oh, like yes. that stuff. It's more of that, that sick mm. side of me. Like I said, like, yes. once, like once an addict, always an addict. It's you have to manage it. There's that sick side of me that wants that high. Yeah. Some of the drama. Yeah. Right. And I know not to create it. I can stop myself. Right. So yeah. I, you know, we all know those people who do that. And maybe you're someone listening who knows you do that. Um, I'm good about not doing that, but it's like that craving is still there. Yeah. And I have to really check myself and I wouldn't be able, that's why I said I still go to recovery meetings. Like, yes, I'm an addict. Like I need to do that to keep myself sane. Yeah. When you, when you're transitioning to love that is available to you, you don't have to work for it. Right. That can feel so weird because the old, old Tiffany is used to having to work for it and it could be taken away at any moment and it's unpredictable, but just this unconditional love that's there. There's every once in a while you're like, Oh, I just want to start a fight. Like I need this to disappear for a little bit, <laughs> need some drama. You know, I can relate to that certainly in, in my dating life, being aware of moments where I'm like, this is too available. I'm not used to dating somebody who's actually going to listen to my feelings and validate me and be there. Um, but really having to stop myself, just as you said, like having to realize it before those damaging words are coming out of my mouth or I'm taking an action that would sabotage the relationship. You know, I think in, infidelity is one I think of a lot of people who they are unconsciously sabotaging something because it feels too good. They'll, they'll find themselves being unfaithful or finding a way to sabotage it. That's such a great point. And I, I feel that there's a lot of covert ways. We, I mean, I've had other relationships with good guys before. Yeah. So I would sabotage it, not so much by cheating, um, being, you know, working all the time, not being available, um, emasculating the guy, like, because, you know, I'm a successful businesswoman, but you know, that's great and all, but you don't, there's a lot of things I would say that mm -hmm. it's, it's not nice. It's not mm -hmm. right. And I would, you know, I'd do things like that. When, when I look back, I would emasculate them, which, because I truly, I felt so uncomfortable with the availability and the yes. presence of that love that it was like, it was actually a turnoff to me. Right. Yeah. So really, I, I mean, I think it just speaks to, gosh, if you were trying to do this on your own, like good luck, you know, it's so hard to see these patterns and know what's going on. You just really can't see it on your own. I, no. I know personally, my own therapist, my own coaches, I have had to have people guide me through it. Oh God, no way. And we're not meant to do it alone. That's why there are, you know, coaches mm -hmm. there, you know, there's therapists. That's why there's recovery programs. We're not 
meant to do it alone. Like, and to, and to try and go about doing it alone is, is just a lie. It's not going to happen. Yep. I agree. I agree. Well, Tiffany, you have had such an amazing journey and I, I know that the listeners are going to be so grateful to you for being this open book that you are and being vulnerable. I love it. Um, I'm curious, like what would be your advice to someone who is like where younger Tiffany was at and they know they're doing the same thing over and over? What, what would you tell them to do as a first step? Um, I would tell them they need to work with you. <laughs> I no, and I'm not, and I'm not just saying that it's, believe me, that wasn't, I'm not, there's not an agenda with me, but if you, if this episode or something else you've read, or you know that some of your behaviors are unhealthy, you can't do it alone. You going and buying books or even reading, you know, watch or listening to these podcasts or whatever, that's great, but that's not going to yeah. cut it. You need to work with someone who's going to help you unpack the, the stuff that's underneath all of that that is causing you to do these things with guys, with girls, um, with not wanting to be alone, with thinking that, you know, well, if, if I just had the guy, you know, or the girl or whatever, you know, then I can, my life would be complete or my life can move on. Or you keep saying, oh, I keep ending up with toxic people. That is because you're fucking toxic. And I know that's really hard to hear, but like attracts like. I attracted toxic people. I was toxic just in a different way. Mm -hmm. I was an addict. So what do you think I attracted? I attracted other addicts. They were addicted to alcohol, cocaine, um, God knows what. I attracted narcissists. I attracted very sick, sick people because I was very sick in a different mm -hmm. way. So the only way to change, if we, you don't like what you're attracting, the right. only thing you can do in your control is to work on yourself, but it's not something that can be unpacked alone. Mm -hmm. I, would, I would do that. I know it's scary and it's not easy and you want to kind of believe, well, you know, if I just like met a different guy or maybe if I change my dating profile and, you know, I post pictures where I'm doing more activities and I'm having fun and they're not like slut, mm. slut pictures, then I'll attract different guys. But like I've tried it all and none of it works. <laughs> I love that advice, right? Because it's that whole piece of, okay, let me just do all of these external things. It's like, it's focusing on the strategy but what you really need to focus on is that internal work. Who are you? Dating is a mirror, right? Who, who is it that, that you're attracting? And whatever strategy you use won't do you any good if who you are remains the same. Yeah. Very powerful advice. I love it. Classic tough love Tiffany here. Yes. <laughs> And Tiffany, I always ask the guests before I let them go, um, if you were just meeting somebody on the street and you had 30 seconds to give them some life advice, what would be your, your top advice? And it could just be like what you feel like is most important based on what you're reading right now, or maybe you have just tried and true advice you'd give everyone. I would say this, 
Stop pouring your time and attention into all of your time and attention into other people, places, and things and pour that into yourself first and putting yourself first and your joy first and your needs first is not selfish. That doesn't make you a bad sister, friend, girlfriend, whatever. That, that's somewhere down the line. A lot of us were taught that. That actually makes you selfless because the more whole you are, the more you'll have to give other people. And it's time to say like, you know, F everyone, I'm putting my needs and my happiness and my joy first and forget the rest. I wish someone had told me that. Mm, I love that. So powerful. The, the high self-worth piece. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And Tiffany, I know that my listeners are just going to be so happy to continue to connect with you because they'll love how real you were on this episode. So where can they find you on all the social? Where's, where's the best way to connect with you? Best way to reach out to me is on Instagram at Project Me with Tiffany. So just type in Project Me one word with Tiffany and I will pop up. And I spend about two hours every single day in my DM seven days a week getting to know people better, answering questions. It's my way of being of service. So feel free to DM me. And then also my podcast is something, especially if you're like, looking also to either have a business, you want to start a business, you want to go after something that you love in your life and make money doing it, listen to my show. It's a popular success podcast. It's on all the things. And that's also Project Me with Tiffany. Those are the two best places to get access to my craziness. <laughs> I love it. And I am just so grateful to you for being a guest. And we may have to do a part two uh, at some point. I love it. And y'all, Tiffany and I, if you have takeaways from this episode that just really spoke to you, we would love for you to screenshot and share to your story with what your takeaways were. And then definitely tag us, me at Dr. Morgan Coaching and Tiffany at Project Me with Tiffany. And we just want to hear your, your big takeaways. And as always, y'all, I am wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. I'll talk with you soon. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram Facebook and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.